Well, I um, am finishing today this little teaching series. Uh, those of you who have been here um, kind of know how, how that's gone and what we've been doing there. But this teaching series called What in the World is Going On? And uh, I have a very different sort of message today to, uh, to finish up with. So this is, as I, as I said at the outset, really more of a teaching series than a preaching series. So I don't even have really a uh, a text that I'm uh, beginning with and preaching from. Um, I want to just uh, sort of tie this together and then um, conclude with a, with a passage of scripture that will be uh, hopefully an encouragement to us. Um, but the, the, the series, as I said, is, is called What in the World is Going On? We're just trying to get some perspective on uh, what really is sort of turning the wheels um, of this world that seems to be running off the tracks at times. And I, so I mentioned uh, at the beginning that there's, uh, you know, generational change drives that wheel of history. And that more specifically the following week that we see throughout our history, at least Anglo-American history, this pattern of sort of four stages of that turning that are to some extent somewhat predictable, at least they have been in our history. And so from that, um, it would be no surprise to those who who, who knew that history that we are now and have been for some years living through sort of a, a, a crisis generation or a generation defined by, characterized by crisis. We've been in that for uh, some years and probably will remain in that for a few years. And I mentioned that uh, it, it may be that the climax of the crisis is yet to come. And so um, it's good to know that, right? It's just like we, uh, we're always glad to know that a hurricane is coming. I use that uh, illustration at the outset of this series. We, when we know one's coming, we're, we're, uh, we're really not afraid of those. Some of them, we might leave town. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, but most of them, right, we just know how to prepare. We make the preparations. The storm comes, the storm goes, and we go back to life. We don't live all the time with our house boarded up just because there might be a hurricane. And so it goes, we do want to be aware there may be crisis coming and that we prepare ourselves accordingly, but we're not going to live our lives in fear as if all the time we see crisis around every corner. And so I said, you know, last week that there is this sort of love-hate relationship between good news and bad news about what's going on in the world. And there are, one of the reasons I wanted to um, undertake this series was for us to have reason to, real legitimate reason, not just wishful reason, but real reason to be hopeful and optimistic in some ways in, in spite of the fact, the reality, that there's, there's lots that's wrong with the world. Um, and so anyway, that's sort of the, the uh, recap of the series, particularly for those who may uh, just be here for the first time. And again, this is, this is a little bit of a departure from usual for me, but, um, but I wanted to uh, wrap this up today and I'll begin with a pop quiz. You don't, uh, I don't want you to answer out loud, but overall, which of these statements best describes the conditions in the world? A, the world is getting better. B, the world is staying about the same. C, the world is getting worse. Again, I don't want you to answer out loud. This question was asked uh, to, to people in about uh, 30 countries by a, a, a Swedish man who's actually a physician but is, uh, became somewhat of a public health statistician as well. 
Um, and in every country, the majority of people answered the world is getting worse. Perhaps the majority here would answer the same way. And to some degree, the answer does depend on how you interpret that question, right? Or how you think that would be measured. What does it mean that the world is getting better or the world is getting worse? How do you measure that sort of thing? But when people um, were asked more detailed questions about things like their perception of poverty, uh, disease, um, childhood deaths, women's rights, uh, freedom and democracy and so forth. When they, answer more, when they ask more detailed questions, their answers to those questions revealed that they had in some specific ways perceptions um, about how the world was and perceptions that the world was worse than it really is. Because uh, the truth is that the world by some objective measures, and again, there is some subjectivity too, but by many, maybe most of the, of the most important objective measures isn't getting worse. But there are reasons why we're inclined to think that way. And one of the reasons is because we actually occupy a very small uh, place on the planet geographically, right? I mean, we, we live in a, a, a really small dot on the globe. And we don't personally experience most of the world. That's true for most of us. We do have some that do a lot of international travel, but very, very, very few of us travel anywhere much to speak of, right? So we occupy a very small place on the planet. We live in a very, very tiny slice of history, right? Our, our life is just like a breath in sort of the scheme of history. And so our perception of things is formed by a really short span of time um, in a really small uh, portion of the planet. And our perception about what's sort of going on outside of our little geographical dot is informed by news media, right? A lot of what we, uh, a lot of what we think we understand about what's going on we get from various media sources who are incentivized in every way to tell us mostly the bad news. Right? I mean, you, you, you like, what would you do if they said, um, well, today was a very ordinary day for most people. Tune in at six to hear more. <laughs> right? I mean, nobody's going to watch that news channel. And so it's, they're incentivized to really uh, obsess over bad news, and, uh, and, and they seem to love doing it, don't they? But anyway, there are reasons why we, we have that, uh, that sort of perception. But I wanted to, um, to just try in a, in a fairly concise way today uh, to share two positive headlines that you won't read in the news. Number one, that by the most basic measures, the world is getting better, not worse. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to convince you of that today uh, I, because I don't, I don't have time even to convince you. I'll just say it because, you know, I know you believe everything I tell you anyway. So, uh, but by the most basic measures, the world's getting better, not worse. Second, that globally, Christianity is growing, not declining. That's good news. Two, two positive headlines 
uh, you won't read in the news. And so um, I want to unpack this first one, and hopefully you can make out enough of these uh, charts here, these graphs, in order at least just to get an impression uh, from, from what I'm uh, going, to, going to describe here. Again, I don't, you don't, there's not going to be any other quiz today, okay? So you've taken the only quiz. You're not responsible for leaving here with a head full of facts at all. I just want to give you uh, some impressions of why those two statements I just made, that the world's getting better, not worse, by some uh, basic measures of kind of human quality of life. Maybe I should say that. By basic measures of quality of life, um, that the world's getting better, not worse. Now, this particular graph um, is going to, uh, each one of those dots, those bubbles, represents a country. The size of the dot represents the population of the country, and then there, there are different colors depending on the regions of the world. It's not important, that, again, that you necessarily know which, of, which region is which right now. If you wanted to explore this further, uh, there's a website called gapminder.org where this data comes from. But anyway... Each dot's a country, the size represents the population, the color, the region. And so you've got uh, what's green, and I don't, you, it's hard to even distinguish probably from where you are the difference between green and yellow. But um, green is the Americas, yellow is Europe, uh, red is Asia, and blue is Africa. Okay, and so um, then on the, the horizontal and vertical axis, down on the horizontal axis, it's showing income. That's actually just uh, gross domestic product per capita. So the, whole, the, 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 the wealth of the whole nation and then divided by the number of people who live there. It's, it's in, a, uh, in a very crude manner of speaking, the average income in that country, but that sort of is a misrepresentation of it because the income might be widely distributed, right? You have very, 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 very wealthy people and very poor people living in the same country. But it's just, it's a, it's a measure of the national wealth divided by the number of people, so just GDP per capita. Okay, so that's income on the horizontal axis. And then it's life expectancy on the vertical axis. Okay? Now, so here's, here's what that means. The bottom line of that is, in the lower left-hand corner, the farther you move uh, down and to the left, that means those are uh, countries that are poor and sick, so to speak. Poorer and people die younger. And as you move up and to the right, um, people get, uh, countries get richer and healthier, okay? So that's what this graph shows. Again, if that doesn't make sense, that's okay right now because I just want to... Uh, step back 200 years. In 1800, most of the world lived in extreme poverty. In fact, this is one of the other categories up at the top of the chart. This, uh, they have level one, two, three, and four poverty. Level one is something, I don't remember if it's a dollar a day or just less than $2 a day. I read on another source, there's about 10% of the world's population still lives on less than $2 a day. Um, that's all of this, by the way, these graphs, this adjusted for uh, inflation and um, there's sort of a standard, uh, whatever year this was, this was calculated, 2011 or 2015 or something. But in other words, this is, this is talking about today's dollars, it's adjusted there. So most of the world in 1800 lived in extreme poverty. 
and died young. Um, and this actual, the life expectancy is, is, uh, is, is even lower because of childhood deaths. In 1800, I believe 44% of children would die before the age of five. And so that the life expectancy is brought down uh, because of that, those averages. Obviously, there are people who live much longer than that. But, um, but you've got most, most people in every country of the world, poor and sick, relatively speaking. And then I'm just going to walk through here decade by decade, okay? And see, what we're going to see is that uh, over the course of time, um, the whole trend of the whole world moves up and to the right. That, that more and more countries get pulled out of poverty uh, and they get healthier, life expectancy uh, increases too. And could we agree, uh, not that either one of those is everything, but that um, having more of your needs met and living longer are good things. Right? That's not, I don't think that's uh, debatable. Um, or at least it shouldn't be too terribly controversial. That's a, in other words, life is better for people who, who are healthier and, uh, and, and well provided for. So anyway, we walk through one decade at a time and you just kind of watch the trend. As wealth increases, then the um, life expectancy begins to, to rise. And it's a struggle forward, by the way. It's, it's, it's not like it's a sort of walk in the park. Um, we've just gone about 100 years and there have been wars in between. There have been economic crises. There have been um, major things that have gone on and setbacks in any particular nation, but progress sort of makes its way forward. We get here to uh, just beyond 1910. I wanted to slow down here just to illustrate, because this happens throughout history, but as we get ready to go into World War I, I mean, you see a little, let me step back a little bit, because you see a little movement of those dots. Some go down and some go backwards as we go into World War I and then uh, the Spanish flu and, uh, and then over the next year it just bounces back <laughs> and, uh, and onward and upward if I were to have, there's 1940, if I were to stop and go through the decade of the 40s, we would see something similar as you would expect, right? A lot of people died in World War II. Uh, there was economic fallout from World War II. Germany, for example, had a hard decade after, from 1945 to 1950. But if you just go from one decade to the next, it just marches on. And you see now so much of the world since World War II, so much of the world has been lifted out of poverty. And in the, in the last 50 years, just tremendous progress and growth. The two big red dots, of course, are China and India. That's good news and bad news that China's... <laughs> Uh, gotten bigger and, uh, and wealthier, right? I mean, from an American standpoint, it's a national security uh, matter as well. 
But the point is there, you, you just see um, a, a factual, uh, demonstrable evidence that the world is actually, by, by really important measures, the world is getting better, not worse. Um, certainly those people who have been lifted out of poverty would say that. And you see even, I mean, uh, many of the African countries are still trailing economically, but there's been great progress from where they came. And, and the life expectancy has really gone up as um, communicable diseases, treatable diseases are being treated. Diseases that, that used to kill people but don't have to kill people that there are cures for. Now there's medical care that people have access to and so on. So nobody gets to snap their fingers, click their heels together three times, twitch their nose or whatever other kind of little thing and just make everything better. It's a struggle forward for everybody who moves forward. Wherever they start, that's where they have to start. And it's just, it's, it's a two steps forward and one step back and, and, and that sort of thing as well. But, but we continue to make... Um, you know, great progress globally in that way. And we should rejoice at that. I mean, as Christians of all people, we ought to celebrate uh, the fact that a, a very, I said 44% of children in 1800 died before the age of five. Uh, by 2015 or 16, it's 4%. Praise the Lord for that. We ought to be the first that would celebrate such things or that people are lifted out of poverty. Right, that all kinds of uh, sickness is treated and, and that sort of thing. Um, so again, that's one illustration of that. I'll just highlight a few others that uh, in 1800, 10% of adults could read and write. By 2015, it's 86% in the world. We have the perception a lot of times that there's a lot of the world much worse off than what it looks. And there is, a lot of the world is bad off. I am not making light of that. I am not making light of any of that. Uh, but but it's, we've actually um, seen a whole lot more progress than we would imagine. Deaths from nat natural disasters are a fraction of what they used to be. Uh, and then uh, even again, women's voting rights in 1893, there was only one country, 1893, just over 100 years ago, 125 years ago, one country in the world, uh, according to this data anyway, where women had equal voting rights to men. And uh, today, uh, from what a Pew Research Forum reported, 194 out of 198 countries where women have equal voting rights. That one surprised me. I, I wouldn't have thought it was, I would have thought there would have been more than that. And, um, and perhaps if you dig a little deeper or if you uh, surveyed some of the women in some of those 194 countries, they might object to how equal it really is. I, I, I don't know. But, um, but in any case, by, by objective measures, in many ways, the world is actually getting better, not worse. If you had asked somebody, let me back up. Okay, if we go back here. If you lived right then, life is not getting better, is it? 
right? I mean, your whole assessment of the world, if you live in the middle of that period of time, um, is, is awful. And depending on what your personal circumstances, it may, uh, it may be that way. But again, the arc of history shows uh, it actually is getting better. I'll move on from that. Uh, the second headline that you won't read in the news is that Christianity is growing, not declining globally. Now, it is in the West, uh, Christianity uh, in, in, in Europe, of course, it's declining and has been for some time, uh, really waning. I don't know statistically. There might be po- population increases, might be keeping it uh, up or steady in, in North America, but we certainly see um, the generational trend is a lower percentage um, each generation uh, identifies as Christian. But anyway, uh, but it's, but it's glowing, uh, growing globally. And so th- this chart here just shows the distribution of Christians. This is all expressions of Christianity, by the way, not just evangelicalism. But in 1910, two-thirds of Christians in the world lived in Europe. If you backed up another 100 years to 1800, uh, 85% of Christians in the world lived in Europe. A hundred years later, in 2010, it's pretty Christianity is pretty evenly distributed around the globe. In fact, this is a little bit misleading because it just says on the right, the Americas is about 37%. That's North America and Central and South America. And if you were to if you were to split those out, you would see again an even more even distribution. The, the, the most widely distributed Christianity has ever been in its history, the most widely distributed any religion is or has been ever right now. Right now. He said, go preach the gospel to all nations. We have, and there's evidence Here's another way of illustrating that uh, just on a map. Again, you see the, the size of the dot just indicates in some respect how many Christians there are in different regions of the world. And uh, you see in North America and Europe, uh, they're sort of overshadowed by Christianity in the global south. So uh, Latin America, Africa, and Asia um, the, the gospel is, is, Christianity is growing rapidly in those places. And changing the face of Christianity in a way that we're not really uh, even aware of. Almost two-thirds of Christians on the planet today live in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. If I remember right, um, some of the, the data I'm getting ready to uh, highlight comes from a study that was done at Gordon-Conwell. And if I'm not uh, mistaken from that report, it seems like in, in 1900, in 1900, that maybe there were 40,000 Christians in Africa. I might be remembering that wrong, but it's a, it was a small number. And um, there are now, 
667 million. Um, so praise the Lord for that. Amen. Yeah. I'm, I may have just misrepresented that uh, terribly in terms of what it was in, in uh, 1900, but the growth has been staggering. And it, and it has been rapid. It has been rapid. It's not like it's just been slow growth over 2,000 years. There is something unparalleled happening on the planet right now. And, and you know what? And in lots of places, Christianity struggles forward too. And it has been a struggle everywhere it's ever grown. And right now, there are places waiting, for, waiting to see the growth and only seeing the struggle. Uh, but there's fruit of the gospel. I want to I now just uh, share six encouraging facts about global Christianity. Again, this, this comes highlights from this Gordon Conwell study, but it actually was on a Lifeway, uh, Lifeway site. I, that's actually in a color down in, in, the, in the bottom. You can't even see lifewayresearch.com. Number one, both Africa and Latin America have more Christians than Europe. Now, that might not be encouraging if you're European, I guess. Um, but encouraging facts about just a measure of how much Christianity has grown in the global south. 77% of all evangelicals live in the global south. Now, pause here just a minute because we talk about, there are all kinds, I read blog articles and different kinds of things where people will talk about the future of Christianity. Um, and uh, all, all the things we need to do to adapt or, or, you know, for the, for, sort of for the sake of the church. And what they really mean is for American evangelical churches. But we talk about the American evangelical church as if that's Christianity, uh, as if that's global evangelicalism. And it's, it's not even close anymore. 77% of evangelicals live in the global south. One of the uh, statements that this Lifeway um, site made was that evangelicalism, uh, maybe Christianity more generally, but evangelicalism is largely a non-white community globally now. And again, that, that just, it, it's a little bit illuminating, isn't it? Because we, um, we, we live in a small little dot in the world in a very small slice of time. And so we have certain assumptions that we have about that. 77%, I don't know what just happened. Was that me? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so 77% uh, of evangelicals live in the global south in 1900. It was 7.8%. 7.8% of evangelicals lived in the global south 120 years ago. Now 77%. Do you know what that means? The word of God won't return void. It, it, it does what it says. It will do. That's good news. Uh, the third item here, and um, if, if you catch up with me, you can, uh, you can uh, pop them up there. Number three, Christianity is growing at five times the rate of atheism. 
And again, uh, you, 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 right now in the U.S. or in Europe, you might have a very different impression. But, uh, but, but and, and atheism is growing slightly, but actually global Christianity growing at a rate five times that. Number four, the percentage of the world that remains unevangelized continues to fall. That is to say, we continue to evangelize a greater and greater percentage of the world. In 1900, more than half the world's population was unevangelized. 54.3% had never heard the gospel in 1900. Today, uh, it is 28%. We've cut that, the unevangelized world, the size of the unevangelized world has been cut in about half in the last 100 years. Number five, Christianity will top 3 billion adherents by 2050. Uh, the projection is for there to be 3.4 Christians worldwide by the year 2050. It'll be the first religion uh, to surpass 3 million. Islam is growing, um, just not quite as fast, but it, uh, it's also projected to be plenty of people around the world. Although not distributed uh, quite so evenly and widely as Christianity. And then finally, number six, by 2050, nearly 1.3 billion Christians will live in Africa. Sit on that a minute. 3.4 billion Christians in the world, 1.3 billion of them will live in Africa. And again, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you, how aware you are that that is happening and has been happening. You may remember uh, that what just two or three years ago, when the United Methodist Church had its denominational vote um, over, you know, issues of sex and marriage and that kind of thing, same-sex marriage, and how that would be regarded in the church and so forth. Um, the vote on that went in a what you might call a conservative direction or traditional direction, it sort of tilted in that direction. The reason it did is because of the churches in Africa. Because there's been so much growth in Africa. And they said, oh, by the way, we don't need liberal Americans coming down here and telling us why the Bible doesn't mean what it's always meant. <laughs> um, so the point is, it's, th th this is already... This is already reshaping in some ways the way Christianity is lived and experienced globally. Another, uh, again, sort of reality, even right here in our backyard, there's, a, there's been a whole movement of um, formerly Episcopal churches that left the Episcopal uh, denomination in the U.S. and um, affiliated otherwise as Anglican churches. And uh, many of them um, initially in one of those moves came under the authority of the Diocese of Rwanda. So, and so it's th this, this, uh, this move, this growth, this fruit of the gospel is already reshaping um, the way Christianity has lived and experienced. And that's going to be even more true over the next you know, 30, to 50 to 70 years uh, as we live through this century. And so I want to close with uh, this. Do we have a screen up here anymore? 
We lost that. Okay, that's okay. I'm going to close with um, this passage from Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. I understand that uh, the last two years in particular, and maybe the last several, uh, have been setbacks and discouragements in many ways, as we have, um, even over the last couple of years, tried to get church life back to normal, or just public life back to normal. You keep feeling the gears slipping, right? Every time you try to move forward, there's something that sort of trips you up or makes you feel like we can't do that yet. And there's just been, it's been a frustrating time to be alive. And a lot of people, as we hear about the great resignation in the workplace, right, where people are are resigning from jobs, retiring early, changing careers and that kind of thing, there's been more generally just a great resignation, people just resigning from life, You know, just saying, I'm checking out. Just tired of even trying. And and what the reason I wanted to close here is say, don't give up. We, We will not grow weary in doing good. Because let me tell you this. Let's get a whole lot more concrete about this. We as a church have had the privilege of sending missionaries to those places. The transformative, the work that has transformed the globe, we've participated in. You've participated in. We've sent missionaries to sow seeds of the gospel. We've sent missionaries to water the seeds that somebody else planted. We're sending missionaries now that are continuing to water and to sow and even some to harvest. Right now, as those churches in what now has become the majority world of Christianity. Those churches in Latin America have pastors who need training, and Dan Sonnenberg's going to train them. Those pastors in Africa who need training, Brian Slater's going to train them. And those pastors in Asia who need training, Steve Curtis is going to train them. Praise the Lord for that. And all I'm trying to show you is it's happening right now. And all the things going on that you thought were bad news and all the things you thought going on that told you the world's getting worse and all the things you, 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 you thought were going on that just made you discouraged and checked out with regard to the church in general, it's all fake news. Well... It's, not, it's actually not all together. I mean, like I said, there really is bad stuff happening. I'm not making light of that. But there is reason for us to be hopeful, to be encouraged, and to be active. And so we're going to continue sending 
and supporting missionaries. We're going to get engaged even this year and years to come in in church planting work that's being stimulated and stirred up um, in our denomination, in our presbytery. You know, planting churches with some young, uh, passionate men of God who who can communicate to those changing generations, right, that maybe some of us feel like we can't connect with and can't speak the language of, don't really know where they're starting, so the conversation always starts in a different places. God's going to raise up church planters to shepherd a new generation passionate about the things of God, even among their peers, some of them who are just going crazy. God's still at work among them. We're going we're to be engaged in that work. And we're going to remain engaged in loving our neighbor right here in our own city with the expectation that God can and will meet them, penetrate hard hearts, get the truth through where it hasn't gotten through before. Even people who have lived their whole lives and now in retirement having rejected God, that even those 11th hour laborers, to use Jesus' parable, that even some of those, he'll call to himself at the 11th hour uh, through your relationship with them, through the ministry of our church here locally. And so there's there's uh, great news to be told and good reason to be encouraged, and so we shall. Uh, continue on. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you. Praise you, God, that you are always at work in the world and even now. That you have changed the planet and are changing the planet by the power of the gospel. So, Lord, would you just renew um, our hope in your ability and willingness to do what is impossible with men. Lord, help us not to be discouraged by the hard things and hard places, but to know that it's not hard when your spirit is at work. So Lord, we pray that as we look into this year we would see a lighted path that we can walk with uh, energy and enthusiasm and optimism. And we're not just thinking wishfully, but uh, hopefully and as people of faith that you'll continue to do uh, good and powerful things through our church, through your church in our city in our country and around the world. So Lord, would you move us, use us, and be glorified in us. In the name of Jesus, amen.